those uh, play play uh, play it out like that and see it in that type of context. And so uh, turn to Acts chapter 13. We're going to be finishing up 13. I want to catch up on a uh, just a few things we talked about last week, um, talking about how Paul had set out on this missionary journey with Barnabas. And uh, we also talked about some of the characters that were there, some of the people that were there in the church. Um, there at Antioch, and uh, at the church there at Antioch, remember um, there were several there who were serving the Lord already. Uh, a, a great diverse group of people, people who were from every color and every uh, type of social status, and several of them were mentioned as leaders. Two of them was Saul uh, and Barnabas, and they were called by God to go out as they fasted and prayed and go on this journey, and uh, on that journey there, they took a, a helper with them named John Mark, and uh, I mentioned briefly, for those that love to study the history of the Bible, uh, that John Mark was also um, there for a little while, but then he, uh, it just says that he departed uh, and uh, the word there in Acts 13 was just departed like he had just left, like he had to go tend to business. Uh, but over in Acts chapter 15, I believe, we'll get to it, uh, when Paul replays the story, Paul says that he didn't just depart from them, he deserted them. And you remember the, the argument that Paul had with Barnabas and said, you can go with him if you want to, but I'm not going to go. And so we see that split there between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas went with John Mark, and then Paul went with Silas. And so they both went on separate journeys. And uh, we talked about how uh, even Paul um, is not Jesus Christ, right? That we all have struggles, and obviously Paul had got a little upset with John Mark and was a little unforgiving and uh, felt like he had abandoned them in the time that he needed. But the good news is, if you keep reading through the Gospels and through Paul's writings, we come to learn that um, Paul uh, speaks well of John Mark again. So he got it right in the end. But it's just a great reminder for us to remember um, as we think about Paul and we think about these uh, men here uh, in Scripture that they were not perfect. They, they had disagreements. They had uh, separations. They had times where they would not get along. And so uh, they, as they journeyed through this process, um, they went from Antioch and they went to Antioch. Remember, there's two Antiochs in, the, in, in Acts. And so um, Antioch, was, was, which was the large part, um, was where they started from. They ended up in another Antioch, which is another place around there. And of course, Barnabas would have known a lot of this journey because he grew up around uh, that Cyprus uh, area, which was the island that we saw there on the, um, on the screen. But basically... Um, Saul would go, he would preach in the synagogues, and they would begin to share Christ, and the Jewish people would get upset, and it was just a pattern back and forth. And what we see, uh, again, tonight, as we come to this, uh, blessings and conflicts, which they don't usually seem like they go together, but let me tell you, if you're going to do the will of God, you better be ready for some conflict, right? That's just the way that it is. It's going to happen. You're going to have to face it. You're going to have to deal with it. It happened here in the first century church. It's going to happen in our lives as well today. And the latter part um, of chapter 13, which we finished up with um, last week, was Paul's first recorded sermon. And what a treasure. I think it's in complete uh, detail. Um, some believe that this was a much shorter version. But either way, um, what a great thing to be able to study. And if you have time to study, you want to study something fascinating, study the sermon of Paul right here, and, um, which was interesting as well. Another major thing that I forgot to tell you in the book of Acts is that Saul is now referred to as Paul. 
So uh, talked a little bit about how that happened. Saul would have been his Hebrew name. He was born with dual citizenship. Um, he was born also, from, uh, also with uh, you know, his Jewish name, but then he also had his Gentile name. And so his Jewish name was Saul, but his, uh, his Gentile name was Paul. And Paul, usually uh, when they uh, named someone in that time period, they would name them by some characteristic of that person. And so Paul uh, means someone small of stature. So that's why a lot of people, Paul, believe that Paul was someone who was small of stature, uh, who, was, who was a little person. Either he was just a little child or maybe he ended up being little as an adult as well. Um, but Saul, Paul means just someone little, but that was his Gentile name. And I also found it very interesting that Paul is the uh, apostle to the Gentiles and that before, even as Paul was born, God had already prepared him with his name from Saul to Paul. So it was a pretty easy process to go through. Um, I think for us, it's more of a big deal for us to change uh, your name than it would be in these days, especially if you had dual citizenship. Um, I can remember growing up wanting to might change my name every time they gave roll call in the beginning of the year because uh, my middle name is Ted, but my first name is Valter. And uh, now that I'm older, I have one fan of that name, Tanner. He loves Valter. We should have named him after me, but he promises me that he's going to name his child Valter. And uh, so his, uh, his wife hasn't had anything to say about that yet, but we'll see. Uh, but uh, he, he, he loves that name. He calls me VT, which is Valter Ted, my initials. And so um, he, he enjoys telling me that. But every year, um, the teacher would come to my name and they would kind of stumble because they think it's Walter and they think it's Valter, but they don't really know. And so they kind of mix it all up, kind of like, and I'd always have to say, just call me Ted. That's my middle name. That's what you could call me. And so uh, that's, uh, the, the changing your name is a, is a bigger deal now. But back then, it would have been very common. They would have several names, especially Paul and Saul. He made the transition from this point forward throughout the rest of Acts and throughout all the New Testament. He is known as Paul. That is his name, the missionary to the Gentiles. And we see that not just in his name, but in his mission as well. And so as he gave this uh, sermon to those in in the um, Jewish temple... And basically, in his sermon, he took them right down the path. And you know what treasure we have in Acts and Hebrews and 1 Peter to give us the history of the Old Testament? You know, if you don't have time to read through all of the Old Testament, you would do well to read through Acts and Hebrews and 1 Peter because it gives you like the Cliff Notes version. I mean, it really does. It really gives you a lot of context about the Old Testament and what you learn about it, just as we have learned, and I hope you have learned this through Hebrews as well, it's all about Jesus. I mean, it, it is, when we say the Bible is a hymn book, not like what we uh, sing, but an H-I-M book, it's all about Jesus. I mean, all the way from genera- Genesis to Revelation, it all testifies to Jesus Christ. And he is, once he's revealed, you can't help but to see him in all these areas. And, and Paul takes him through it step by step, and he's telling him, you know what you believed in this, yes, that was even Jesus. And yes, that was about Jesus. And yes, so he takes them through the whole list. And when they get to the end of this, they realize, just as they came to the conclusion of what they knew about Jesus' teachings, they didn't kill Jesus because they didn't like him. They didn't kill Jesus because he was a crazy person or a wild man. 
They killed Jesus because they knew that he taught he was God. He was the son of God. And they thought that was blasphemy. And they thought that it was right for them to be able to kill him because he was, he was teaching blasphemy. So as you see this, you see Paul saying it's not blasphemy at all. It is Christ and him alone and you have rejected him. And when you reject him, there is nothing else going to help you. You cannot go back and be justified by the things of the law, the things of Moses, by your nationality. There's nothing you could do but confess Jesus Christ. And I hope and pray. And I've heard many theologians and pastors and preachers, even recently, that tell and, and tell people and also preach this to people that there is an opportunity for people who do not confess Jesus Christ to go to heaven. I, I want to say, if you read through the book of Acts and Hebrews and 1 Peter, you know that I don't care if you were the Hebrew of the Hebrews, just like Paul had said, even if you were the Jew, most Jewish Jew in the nationality and kept the, the law to the best degree that you could ever have as a person and still ascribe to that even to this day, if you reject Jesus Christ, that was God's final uh, answer to our sin and what an answer it was I mean think about the answer that we have for our sin in Jesus Christ and so um, no matter who you are Jewish or Gentile male nor female nor old nor young whoever you are you confess Jesus Christ that is the way to heaven that is the way to forgiveness of sins and so he tells them that and so what do they do look at verse um, we're going to start in verse 42 um, tonight and um I have, to get the, I have to get my iPad turned on here uh, because I could see it a whole lot better than my Bible. <laughs> and uh, in Acts chapter, I mean, Acts chapter 13, verse 42 is where I want to begin. It says, so, so when the Jews heard this, right, this was after Paul's first sermon, uh, they went out of the synagogue, which was similar to our church gatherings or our temple gatherings. That was where they would do the teaching of the law. That's where the, um, the teachers would be and the um, scribes and the Pharisees that would be there in the courts. And uh, it, so they, they come out of the synagogue. The Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them in the next Sabbath. So those who are not Jewish people heard this message from Paul about Jesus Christ and they begged them to preach to him. Now, I would be excited if someone begged me to preach to them, right? I mean, I usually get people begging for me to stop preaching. But anyhow, Paul was, they were begging Paul. I mean, they were excited. They, they saw this message, and they so hoped that that, that, that that promise of the Messiah would be for them, and God was preparing their hearts, and they wanted to hear. They were eager to hear. You know, that's what I pray for our country. That's what I pray for our uh, young people. A lot of people talk about revival. I want to see revival happen in people's hearts. That, that this country, these, the people of, of this country are begging and wanting to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be great? And you know that's a real work of God when that happens. And they were, they were there and they wanted to know it. They, they begged and they pleaded because they knew they were lost and they knew the hope that was in that message. And they said, far be it, if they don't want it, we surely want it. Could it be for us as well? And they begged, they wanted to hear. Verse 43, now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. 
Now, think about this. Even in the midst of persecutions, even in the midst of naysayers and opposition, God still had encouragers there, right? They were like, listen, Paul, listen, Barnabas, don't give up. We, we, we believe in what you're saying, and we want to help you and push you forward. We, we want you to keep preaching this. We want you to, to keep devoted to this, and we want to persuade you to keep sharing the gospel. I mean, what a great thing. Listen, you may not be one who can go out and share the gospel. You may not be a preacher or even these apostles here who was sharing Jesus Christ, but you can be someone who encourages someone who does. Listen, a lot of times in our life, I can't be a missionary who goes over, uh, to, goes over to other countries and do those things because I have a calling here, but I certainly can pray for them, and I can encourage them, and I can lift them up, and I could, I could, I could bring them to the Lord in prayer. And listen, we need one another to encourage one another. We need it. We need older couples who have been through things in their marriage and have come out on the other side as Christians to encourage younger couples in their marriage in the Lord. We need that. We need them to come alongside and say, hey, listen, our, life, our marriage wasn't perfect, but God brought us through. And we want you to be brought through as well and encourage them. We need young people to hear from old people <laughs> As much as they may despise it, right? That's an old, older people, especially my age and older, okay? We're talking about a, a high group of range, right? Listen, kids act like they're not listening to you because they're looking at their phone or typing or something like that. But let me tell you, they're listening to you. And, and you have an opportunity to influence them with the gospel of Jesus Christ or encouraging them in the Lord. And you need to do that. You need to take time to do that. Your grandkids, your kids, your, your, those in your neighborhood need to hear you encourage them to live for the Lord. And, and even pastors and teachers and Sunday school teachers. Uh, I was thinking just today of Miss Carol. Miss Carol is not feeling well. She's been sick. She needs to be encouraged that we, we need her to be a part of our congregation. She's, a, she's someone who can teach and to, has led many uh, in, in the Scripture. She needs to be encouraged. And we may not be able to do that, but we certainly can encourage those who do that. And we can encourage them. That's what they did. They just encouraged Paul and Barnabas and persuaded them, keep going, keep doing it. And, and also on the other side of that, like Paul and Barnabas, sometimes we get the Elijah complex, right? We think we're the only ones doing anything for God, right? Listen, you remember the story of Elijah, right? I love that story. Elijah goes and tells God he's beginning to complain and cry to him and whine to him that no one's listening and nothing's going to happen. And so God tells him to go back and pray. And he goes back and prays and he does it two more times and he comes back with the same answer. And then God tells him, he says, listen, uh, uh, listen, Elijah. You say you're the only one who has not bowed the knee to Baal? He said, I have 7,000 people who has not bowed the knee to Baal. He said, you don't even know about them. And, and so many times we think we're the only one who is, who is doing the work of the Lord and everyone else has forsaken the work. But listen, God always has his remnant. He always does. He always has a remnant. He always has people who trust and who always believe and serve the Lord. And we need to find out who they are, and we need to be a part of that. Listen, not every person that goes to church is part of that remnant. You will find plenty of naysayers and plenty of people who are fault finders and plenty of people who would discourage you. But listen, there is a remnant who are seeking, who is seeking the Word of God, who is seeking a closer relationship with Christ, who is seeking the right things, and you need to find out who they are, and you need to join up with them, and you need to be encouraged by that. 
I'm not the only one preaching the gospel. I'm not the only one sharing God's word. We're not the only church that does that. There, God has thousands of people who do that. And there's a remnant that God has, and we should be encouraged by that, that we're, we're, never, we're never left alone. God always has a remnant. And Paul and Barnabas was preaching, and the remnant comes to him and says, keep going, and encourages them. Then look at verse 40, uh, 44. On the next Sabbath, which would be the next week, almost the whole city came together. Imagine that. Come from the synagogue, and all of a sudden, the whole city came out, like a citywide crusade, to hear the word of God. Wow. I mean, may it be that the whole city of St. Augustine would come out to hear the word of God. Could you imagine that? I mean, could you imagine God doing such a work that the whole city, I mean, every one of them, they come out, they wanted to hear what a, what a sight to be seen. And in verse 45, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming, and they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Talking about cold water Christians, right? They weren't even Christians, right? They, they came out, they saw the multitudes, what was the very first thing? They were filled with envy. They couldn't stand it that someone else was doing better than them, right? They thought it was competition, they thought it was us against them. And it was because their hearts were dark and their hearts was not for Jesus Christ. And so they envied them. You know, a lot of times in our life, why people come against us can only be explained because they're envious of us, they're jealous of us. There are people who you probably even go around, and you're probably even friends with them on Facebook. They're not friends with you to be happy for you. They're friends with you to see when you're doing bad, and they gloat over that, right? I mean, because they're envious of you. And far be it from us to be the one who are envy of somebody else, right? It's an easy trap. I know it is. You know, you get a nice car, and someone has a nicer car, right? It's like, oh, well, I hope they get a door ding in their car or something. You know, I hope, they, <laughs> hope their battery doesn't work or something, you know? I mean, you get a house, someone has a bigger house. You, you can play that game and you can be envious. You know, when you're envious of other people, you'll never have peace and you'll never have joy. Never have joy. And these people, these Jewish people, they didn't have joy because they didn't have Jesus and they were mad and they were envy. And, and listen, family members who know that you're a Christian, they will, they will throw things in your life because they're envious of you. They won't tell you that, but they know you have something they don't. And that just drives them crazy, and it drives them up the wall, and they, they become envious of you. And let's, look at what they did. They contradicted, and they blasphemed, and they opposed the things by Paul. Imagine that. Whole city comes out. Paul and Barnabas are like, this is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. And then here comes the Jewish people. They were filled with envy. They started contradicting. They started blaspheming. They started opposing the things. And then verse 46 says, then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. They grew bold. I love that. You know, that's one thing that you see in Scripture that Paul prays for later on in the, in the letters. He prays for holy boldness. And man, wouldn't it be great for us to pray for holy boldness too? You know, there are too many times that we go into the closet when we need to come out of the closet, right? There's too many times when people at your workplace or people at your school or people even in the community that say something that it's our turn to be able to be bold and say something for God and we shrink back, right? Listen, you know what will give you the ability to do that? Holy boldness. To be able to pray that God would give you the boldness to do that. You know what I thought was a, when I was a kid, everybody told me, you know, when you're young and you're a teenager, you, know, you, you struggle with peer pressure, right? You ever heard people tell you that? You know, you got peer pressure. 
You get old, you don't have to worry about that peer pressure. Well, I'm almost 47 years old, and there's still peer pressure, right? I mean, there's still things you look at people and people say, and you get in situations, especially about Christianity, about Jesus Christ, and you feel that pressure. Man, would it be that we would pray for holy boldness? I love that. They grew bold. They didn't shrink back. They, their backbones firmed up. I love Dr. Lindsay, who used to be at First Baptist Church of Jacksonville. He's like, any old fish can swim downstream, but it takes a fish with a backbone to swim upstream, right? He would say, man, you got to have a backbone as a Christian. You can't be a milk toast witness for God, right? I mean, you gotta, you got to stand up straight and be bold. And Paul and Barnabas, they grew bold. They wasn't bold, but they were filled with boldness. And then it said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. He told them to the Jews. So this, this is not a matter of value or of importance. This was a matter of succession. He said, the word of God came to use first. Now, where did we first hear that of? We first heard that out of the Old Testament when Jesus came. He said he was coming to his own, but his own what? Did not receive him. Then we get to the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit comes and it says, you shall be witnesses to me to where? Jerusalem first, right? We remember the succession, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. So Paul was telling him, it was necessary for us to come to you first. You had this opportunity first and the word of God to be spoken to you. But since you reject it, and judge yourselves unworthy of an everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Now think about that phrase. He says it was necessary for us to be able to speak this gospel to you, but you rejected it. You didn't want anything to do with Jesus Christ, and in doing that, you judged yourself unworthy of everlasting life. I don't know about you, but I don't see any wiggle room there, do you? I don't see you in wiggle room there where he says, you know what, you judge yourself unworthy of this message and you might have another chance or you might be able to make it through your nationality or through your systems of sacrifices or through your religion. No, he says you rejected Jesus, you judged yourself. And that is a judgment of God when you reject the only sacrifice that God has given. You, 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 you judge yourself and you become unworthy of the everlasting life or the message of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, you've done that. So behold, we're not going to keep this in. We turn to the Gentiles. That means every single person and envy, contradicting, as you see this, as they were envious, they were contradicting, they were blaspheming. That's all tools of the devil. And as Paul grew bold, he begins to move past them. And he gets to verse 47. It says, for the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. So in other words, he's saying, I put you, God says he puts you as a light and a testimony to the world, to the Gentiles, and to take salvation to the ends of the earth. But they didn't, they didn't do that, did they? They, they, they commanded uh, Paul and, and, and Barnabas to do this, but the, the Jews did not do this. And so God brings them together and says, now I put you this way, and you're going to take this to the ends of the earth. And I love that. That's the first marching orders, right? All the way to the, to the top, to the bottom. From, from the youngest to the oldest. From the greatest to the least. Uh, from the uttermost to the guttermost, right? I mean, all the way through the whole thing. Every single person that, that has breath, now they have this opportunity to hear this gospel. And it's a light to every single one of them. And salvation has come for all people. For every single person. And verse 48, now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad 
I'm sure they were, and they glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as have been appointed to eternal life believed. Look at that. The gospel of Jesus Christ, like I said, from Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, now to the ends of the earth. And they believed Jesus Christ. They believed in the message of salvation, and they trusted in him. And it says, as the many as were appointed. You think about that. If you go back to Paul's message, you see from the very beginning, even through Abraham, you know, that the nation of Israel thought that salvation had ended with the nation of Israel. But salvation never was just for Israel. Who was it for? It was for the whole world. And Israel was to be the instrument to bring it to the world. But yet they let it stop with them. And so God says, you let it stop with you, then it is not salvation for the world. And so he turned to the church and he turned to the Gentiles and said, now take it to the ends of the earth. A lot of people argue with this about this. They always say, well, Father Abraham, he was the, he was the father of the Jews. Well, what was God's promise to Abraham? I will make you a father of one great nation. Is that what it says? What does Abraham mean? I told you this in his, in his name, in his Hebrew name. Abram, who he first was named, meant a father of, a lot, a, 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 a father of many. But when he put the ha in there, it means a father of multitudes, right? So he was not just a father of great nations. From the very beginning, he says, I will make you, I will make you the father of many nations, not just one, many nations. And even from the very start, you can see this coming to pass now. And the, and the plan of God is being played out. And Paul is saying, this was appointed from the very start. And you rejected it. But God's will will still be done. And that's what's so great about God's will. We know it will be done regardless of what man does. Nothing stops the will of God. Nothing stops the work of God. Nothing stops the salvation of God throughout the world. Nothing stops it. And that's why we can go to bed with confidence tonight to know that no government can stop it. No nation can stop it. No, 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 no denomination can stop it. No person can stop it. No group of people can stop it. I mean, God's work and God's will and God's message will go as far as God wants it to go. And we ought to take it as far as we can take it. And when God is done, then he will call us home and we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we'll hear. But until that day, we are to, be, we are to, to take that message and take it to the ends of the earth and not be like the Israelites. Don't think the message stops with us. That's why when we come to church and we look around, we say, we don't want other people to come to know Christ. We're satisfied. We're comfortable, right? We shouldn't just look at our family and say, God, thank you for saving me. Now I'm, I'm satisfied. No, we want everyone that God has appointed, everyone that God can, everyone who can hear the message, use us to share that with other people so they come to know Jesus Christ because that's the greatest thing will ever happen to anyone. And that's the greatest mission we could ever have. And so he tells them, you may have rejected it, but I'm still going to continue through it, me and Barnabas. Look at verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. So the word of the Lord began to spread. Verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city. I'm going to tell you, you want to get men to do something? Stir up their wives, right? That's what this means here, right? I, I'm raised in the country, and there's an old saying that said, if mama ain't happy, Ain't nobody happy, right? So they went, they stirred up all the women, they stirred up all the prominent women, the devout women, and said, get these men and get them on board because we want you to rise up, a, a raise up against a persecution against them. They stirred them up. I want a bunch of troublemakers, right? You ever been around people that just stir up trouble all the time? 
Man, they, they can bless a room by leaving it, right? I mean, I think some of them you could slap and God would say amen, right? I mean, just troublemakers. They come into your family. They come into your church. They come into your, in your job and your workplace. Always causing trouble and division and just going at it. I mean, all the time. And that's what they were. They were busybodies. They were just stirring up trouble. And they were telling lies and, and envious and, and, and just bringing all the stuff up against Paul and Barnabas. And I, I'm not just opposing Paul and Barnabas, but opposing God. That's the root of the problem. And many times people come against you and you think they have some problem with you, but it's not you, it's God. It's the problem they have with God. And so they, 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 they stirred them up and they raised up this uh, persecution, part, second part of verse 50. They raised up this persecution at Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they told them, you can't be here. you got to get out of here. We want nothing to do with it. Look at verse 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Wow. You know, I love that verse there. They shook off the dust from their feet. You know where they got that from? Jesus. When Jesus told his disciples and sent them on their mission, Matthew 10, 14 says, And whoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or that city, shake the dust off of your feet and go to the next place. And you know, that's exactly the way we should be with our life and our heart. Listen, when they reject, when they reject God, they don't, they don't just reject us. They're rejecting the Lord. And, and there's a time when God says to move on, and it was time for them to move on. They had hardened their hearts, they had pushed them out of their city, and the door wasn't open anymore, and it was time for them to move on, and they were called to another place of Iconium, and that's exactly what they did. They shook the dust off their feet. You know, I think for us, many times, it's hard for us to do that because we want to be liked, right? We want the world to like us. We want people to like us. We want our job, people in our job to like us. But listen, there comes a time when you have shared your faith and you have given, it, uh, given your faith to people and they've rejected and rejected and rejected. It's time for you to shake off the dust from your feet and let them know that it's nothing to do with you and it's nothing personal. But if you rejected that, there's no, there's no other thing you can give them. And it's time to move on. And that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas did. They moved on. And as they moved on, look at what it says in verse 52 once they got to Iconium. It says, the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Man, you know, what a stark contrast, right? Those who know Jesus Christ were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Those who rejected Jesus Christ was full of hatred and anger and wrath and just stirred up trouble all the time. I mean, which one would you want to be a part of? I mean, think about this. Which one would you want to be a part of? Hey, and I love this part here where it says they were filled with it. I mean, when Jesus comes in your life, he brings joy. When you're on mission for the Lord, even in the midst of persecution and sufferings and trials, there's a joy that's unexplainable. There's a joy down in your soul to know that you are right with God. There is a joy that comes in your life that when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, you know all is well with you and God. I mean, you, this world can't give you that. And, and the world we live in, that's what they're searching for. There are people who are trying religions and trying to go through all these different ways to get to God, but they don't come through Jesus Christ. They don't have that joy. But when you get Jesus in your heart, it comes with joy. And you have, this, you have this expression of joy in your heart that changes who you are. And they were filled with this joy and it's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's another thing we see over and over and over in the book of Acts. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, don't start getting too excited about that Holy Spirit. You become one of those maniacs. You know what I mean? You become one of those nuts, right? Listen, 
You might be a nut for Jesus, but at least you're screwed to the right bolt, right? That's what I always say, right? I would much rather calm down people than have to revive people, right? I would much rather people to, to, to be excited about Jesus and talking about Jesus and have joy about Him and being full of the Holy Spirit than being full of themselves and full of the selfishness and full of just causing trouble and persecution and trials. I mean, when you have Jesus, you have joy. And when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're on mission for Him and He fulfills your life. He fills it. He doesn't leave room for anything else. You know, for us as Christians, what a challenge for these disciples and what a challenge for us over and over and over. You know, is that, is that a prayer that you pray? I was convicted of this when I was reading through this earlier today. I mean, it's been a long time since I've asked God, just fill me full of your joy, God. I mean, let me tell you, as David in the Old Testament, when he had sinned against Bathsheba, you remember that? And he was, he was down in the dumps. And you read through Psalm 51. You see, read through Psalm 32. He was saying, man, my heart was bursting. And he said, it feels like, you know, God's hand was heavy upon me. Like he was just, you know, crushing me under his, under his judgment. He said, but then I confessed my sin to the Lord. And he said, once I confessed my sin to the Lord, you remember the first thing he said? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, Lord. I tell you when, you, when you don't have God's joy in your life, I mean, you're miserable. Listen, there is nothing more miserable than a Christian that doesn't have God's joy in their life. And that joy comes by seeking it and praying for it and asking God to know you're in His will and for Him to fill you with that joy. What a prayer. So my challenge you tonight is to pray for that God fills you with joy, but not only that, pray that He fills you with the Holy Spirit. Listen, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that you, have, you, are, you are constantly under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about this before. We talked about this salvation. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says that G, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. As He indwells you, what happens is some people say, well, you need more of the Holy Spirit. No, you don't need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs more of you, Right? And with that, what I mean by that is being controlled by the Spirit. Scripture reference, gives a reference of that of, of being drunk or being drunk in the Spirit. And when you, when you see someone who becomes drunk, they become under the influence of alcohol, right? And by the way, when that happens, nothing good happens, right? I'm so excited because... You know, what used to be live PD is now on patrol, all right? And so it comes on Friday night and Saturday night. And so it's four hours of the best week of, my, of the best times of my life, right? But not for Erin, though. She hates it. But anyways, but if you watch on there, you see people get on there and they're driving vehicles and they're under the influence of alcohol. And they're saying all sorts of crazy stuff. I mean, they're saying stuff about, all, I mean, and it's not them talking, but usually they'll put them in jail, and then after a while, they'll start coming to their senses, and they're not under the influence of alcohol, but they get their, they get their reasoning back, and they get their understanding back. Well, what he's saying here is when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit in every area of your life, that, that your lips are being used for the, the, the will of God. Your hands are being used by God. The Holy Spirit fills you so much. Some people say, well, one, one pastor said, people ask me all the time, why do we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so much? Because we leak, right? We do leak. I mean, we leak when we go out into the job and someone makes you angry and you become, become angry and all of a sudden we begin to quench the Holy Spirit and we begin to put them out in our lives and we can also grieve the Holy Spirit. 
When we go do things we're not supposed to be doing and we grieve the Holy Spirit and that influence in our life becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And so you got to pray to God, God, fill me full of your Holy Spirit. Like, I want to be full of them so that it is my mouth that speaks for you. It's my hands who serve for you. It's my heart that believes for you. And I want to be so filled with the Holy Spirit and under your influence that in my marriage, I'm being a godly spouse. And as a parent, I'm being a godly parent. As a workplace member, I'm being a godly person in my workplace. I'm so under influence of the Holy Spirit that when people see me, they should see Jesus Christ. That's the way it should be. And you ought to pray for that. And pray for the joy, pray for the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, you get full of the Holy Spirit, you get full of the joy of Jesus, you're going to have a happy, you're going to have a good time, right? And, and verse 52, that's why he says, they were filled with it, regardless of their, of their situations, they were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me get started in the first part of chapter 14. Uh, chapter 14 says, now it happened, so they moved on, they come to Iconium, everything was going well, filled with the Spirit, full of joy, then it happened. In Iconium, uh, when they get, to, they went together to the synagogue of the Jews. All right, <laughs> it's like here we go. It's back on rewind, right? And so they spoke to a great multitude. Both of the Jews and the Greeks believed. So they had they had witnessed. They had shared Jesus Christ and a great multitude. So 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 great number of people had believed. Verse two, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. There they are again, right? Here comes that opposition. Here comes that, that they, they come and they stir it up. They poison their minds. In verse 3, therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. So they didn't run. They had ability to stay there. They were speaking boldly uh, for the Lord. And they were bearing witness. The last part, last part of verse 3, they were bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So they were doing great works of the Lord. They were doing uh, sharing the gospel. They were speaking boldly. They were teaching the word of God, and they had they had pushed back against the the opposition. But then, look at verse four. But the multitude of the city was divided. It was divided. Part sided with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made both by the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. So there they were. They got run out of another town. And this violent attempt come, and they wanted to try to lay hands on them, and so they, they tried to abuse them and tried to stone them. And so sure enough, they shook off their uh, dust again, and they went to a, another city. But you know, that's what Jesus does. He, he, makes, a, he makes a decision you got to make, right? You part with the Jews or you part with the apostles. And that's when the gospel's clearly presented. You either go with God or you don't go with God. You're either for God or you're against God. And he says here that those who were against God, they became violent. They tried to attempt to, to kill them and be a part of them. Let me get to this next section. It says in verse 8, And then Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet, was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. And now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying to Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was a chief speaker. 
Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Can you believe this? I mean, here they were. We, we saw the video, and we don't really grasp it as well, but they had all sorts of temples and gods and sacrifices they would sacrifice to. They didn't know who to believe in, so they believed in all of them, right? And so two of them they believed in was Zeus and with uh, Hermes. And so they believed in these mystical Greek gods. And so here they were, and, they, and Paul had uh, healed this man, and he yelled out, it's, it's Hermes and Barnabas is Zeus. Could you imagine that? I mean, here they were. They were ascribing deity to Paul and to Barnabas. And so much so, the priest come running out and sets up a sacrifice and was going to have the sacrifice according to Paul and to, uh, according to Barnabas because that man uh, had become God, their gods. Look at verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran among the multitude crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should not turn, that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven in fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Now you think about this. Here they were wanting to worship. They should have been worshiping God, but they were still worshiping people, right? And man, we have, of our heart of hearts as human beings, we are worshipers at heart. And so many times it's not if you worship, the question is who you worship. And these people were so steeped in their own humanity and their own world belief system and their own uh, gods and their own uh, you know, pantheism that they, they were ready and willing to serve and to make sacrifices to a dead god. And Paul and Barnabas were saying, you, you want to serve those dead gods? You need to serve the living god. They are useless. They have no power. They have no strength. And he's saying it is God and God alone. He's the living God. And how much more should you be worshiping the living God than worshiping us who are mere humans, who, who cannot do uh, what our God could do? You know, it just a, it's a great reminder for us to think about this. Because when we get to a point in our society like the Romans here, or like this, this Roman colonies here, you know, the Romans were incredibly powerful. They had gotten to a point, though, in their belief system, in their religious system, they had begun to believe in all sorts of gods. And like I said, it was a pantheistic approach that you do what's right in your own eyes and you serve the God that you want to serve. And your God is no better than our God. We'll put them all up in a row and, and we'll serve this God, you can serve that God, and you can serve this God, and everyone can serve their own God and everyone can be fine. But the message of Christianity is not that you can serve all the gods and add Jesus Christ to one of those gods. What is it? The message of Christianity is there are false gods and there is only one true living God. And that is Jesus Christ. And he has come down and he, they were preaching the gospel to him and telling him it is through him that you can know this living God. But they so much were filled with their own ways they still sought after to, put, to worship the false gods. This reminds you of something. This reminds me of Romans chapter 1, does it not? 
Romans chapter 1 gives a commentary of this of the same culture, and it gets to a point where it says that everyone was doing right in their own eyes, and it says that God gave them over to their own lusts, and he gave them over to their own beliefs, and he says that they get to a point that they would rather worship the creation than the creator. They got to a point that where they would rather worship the, the actual things of this world rather than the God of this world. And man, what a, what a sad picture, but you know what? It's not far away from where we are in our country today, right? I mean, we're not far away from saying everyone has their own God, and everyone has the right to believe in that God, and your God is not better than my God, and my God is not better than your God, but that's not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is there is one true living God, and once you come to know Him, you don't want anything else because He is the He and He alone is the God who can take care of all those problems and issues. He is the salvation, He is the way, He's the truth, He's the life. And once you come to know Him, you realize there is no one worthy of worship but God. That's what Paul was telling. That's what we need to learn in our life. And if we don't, just like the Romans, what happened to Rome? They ascended to the highest of the highs, but guess what? When they collapsed, they collapsed to the lowest of the lows. And they still are not recovered from it. They still are no longer a world power because they had, they had went the way. And any time you get that far away from God, there's always consequences. So we're going we're gonna to finish up talking about what happens because i want to, I got to be able to get to the end of it to be able to tell you what happens to Paul, but we ran out of time. So I want to I wanna pray, and then we're going to, uh, take some questions or comments, and then we'll have our prayer time. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do come before you, Lord, and we do pray for our hearts to be like Paul and Barnabas, God. I pray, Lord, as we go out into our world, Lord, that you will let us grow in that boldness, the holy boldness, to be able to share Christ, to be able to tell others of the love and the joy and the peace they could have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray as opposition comes against us, as many of us may want to be like Elijah and throw in the towel and think, God, uh, I, there's no hope for me. I'm, I'm overwhelmed that we may look to see that there are many who did not bow the knee, Lord. There are others who will come alongside of us and encourage us and walk with us, Lord. And God, we know that if it's your will, there's nothing that can stop your will. Nothing, Lord. There's no man, no person, no government. There's nothing that can come and stop the will of God in our lives, Lord. And God, I just thank you for that promise we have in you. And I pray tonight, God, as we think about our own families, our own lives, Lord, I pray as we surrender our hearts to you, Lord, each one individually, as we leave this place, will say, Lord, fill me full of your joy and fill me full of your Holy Spirit so that I could be a bright light for you in this world that we live in, Lord. What a prayer. And I pray you will just uh, grant that in our hearts and lives tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.